2: Hello, and welcome to the Gibliotech, the podcast that leaps through the library of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I've barely seen any. So join us in our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. So this summer, Film 4 is showing a full Studio Ghibli retrospective on TV here in the UK. I'm in charge of all things digital for Film 4, and I'm also currently hosting the podcast for the film magazine Little White Lies. So I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to combine two of my passions and talk about Ghibli at length. I've also roped in a fellow podcaster and esteemed colleague who is very graciously going to
3: let me force my favourite films on him. That's you, Jake. It is, yes. I host a podcast for Curzon Cinemas as well as working in commissioning for Channel 4's short film programme, Random Acts. But although I spend most of my working life amongst films, I've got a huge blind spot for Studio Ghibli and I've only ever seen two of their films.
2: But we're going to remedy that as soon as possible. If anybody else out there is a Ghibli novice, here's a quick pricey. They are by far the most successful and influential Japanese animation studio, and their films, directed by the likes of Hei Miyazaki and Isao Takahata, have entranced and delighted audiences the world over. They've had international hits with the likes of Spirited Away, Princess Monoki, and My Neighbor Totoro, but there are so many
3: delightful deep cuts in their library. And for any fans of hard G sounds out there, to give you a warning, we will be committing to a soft Ghibli rather than Ghibli for this series. But by all means, tweet your complaints to Michael about that. Thank you, Jake. (laughs) In each episode, we'll be looking at the history and releases of these films, as well as talking through my first reactions.
2: And if you're like Jake and you haven't seen any of these Ghibli films we're going to be talking about, here's your chance to catch up. But be warned, there will be spoilers from the outset. First up,
3: Spirited Away. So
2: let's start things off with a little bit of a plot synopsis so we're all on the same page. Chihiro is a young girl moving house with her parents. On the road trip to the new home, they take a shortcut through a forest and come across a tunnel that leads to a mysterious abandoned theme park. As night falls, Chihiro is separated from her parents and must fend for herself in a huge ornate bathhouse frequented by gods and monsters. Along the way... She meets all sorts of crazy characters, including the witch Yubaba, her giant baby, a boy named Haku, and various guests that visit the bathhouse, such as a stink god and no face that's instantly iconic black void with a white face mask.
3: Yeah, there's certainly a lot going on on this one, so let's figure out how it all got made. The year is 2001. We're all anticipating the release of a film called Spirited Away. Who is Studio Ghibli to the world at this point in time, Michael? It was really fascinating, Jake, because this is really the
2: junction point for Ghibli. At this point, they were clearly successful. They just had a massive box office success in 1997 with Princess Mononoke in Japan that did get an international release. But Spirited Away is the big one. This is the film that I imagine most of our listeners would be the first of the films they saw. Before we get to 2001, let's dial the clock back to 1997 when Hayao Miyazaki releases P- P- Princess Mononoke and immediately says he's retiring from animation.
3: Yes, which is something I, I feel he's notorious for. We're going to end up coming back to this a
2: lot in <laughs> the series. But then only a couple of years later, he's already percolating new ideas. And in the uh, in his proposal from... November 1999 for Spirited Away. He writes, This is supposed to be the story of a young girl who is thrown into another world where good and bad people are coexisting. In this world, she undergoes rigorous training, learns about friendship and self sacrifice, and using her own basic smarts, somehow not only survives, but manages to return to our world. And this film was inspired by the summer holidays he'd take with family, friends, and their young kids. And he realized he hadn't really made a film for sort of pre teen girls, girls who uh, maybe uh, figuring out their identity and figuring out their responsibilities towards the world and becoming young adults. So that's what he wanted to make. That's the, the, the inspiration, the production backstory. But when it comes to be released a couple of years later, there's something so different about Spirited Away. It's the first one that gets the real Walt Disney Studios international release.
3: Yeah, this is the this is the first one that I really heard about and my friends were going to Blockbuster,ing Mm, actually mm -hmm. getting out. And from a young age, it wasn't like a cult thing for kind of edgy teenagers. You had children going Mm -hmm. to get this film out in the same way that maybe at that point in time for me, the animation touchstone would have been something like Shrek. And this was actually being thrown around by kids in the same ballpark. Well,
2: it has this snowballing effect from its Japanese release to its international rollout. So in Japan, it's released in July 2001, and it's a huge unprecedented success. To date, it's grossed over 30 billion yen, which translates to something like 22 million tickets sold. And it's still the highest grossing film of all time at the Japanese box office, which is one of three Miyazaki movies in that top 10. Um, And just to put that into context, other filmmakers with multiple films in that top 10 at the all-time Japanese box office, James Cameron has two. Do you want to take a guess at which ones?
3: Going to go with Titanic and Avatar. You are 100% correct. Thank you. A bit harder. Chris Columbus has Um, two Oh, my heart says Percy Jackson Sea of Monsters, Um, but I think maybe the first two Harry Potters? Yeah, so Chamber of Secrets and
2: Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, philosophers, Uh, depending on where you're Depending on your territory, exactly. So it has this huge um, zeitgeist grabbing release in Japan, which gives fire to this international rollout. Walt Disney... You know, Buena Vista International are behind it. They get John Lasseter, who at the time is head of Pixar, to localise the film, oversee the dubbing and the release. And it has this really interesting international rollout. So, in February 2002, it's presented at the Berlin Film Festival to the the industry Mm. and it goes home with the golden bear the top prize at the festival which it shares that year with bloody sunday the paul greengrass movie so what a double bill (laughs) a very different sort of film that are clearly having their bets there Uh, but then in march the following year it's Wins the Best Animated Feature Oscar, the Academy Awards. Only the second one. It's interesting you mentioned Shrek because that was the one that won the inaugural right. Best Animated Feature Oscar the year before. The second one goes to Spirited Away, March two thousand and three. So it's already got hitting these moments. Yeah, all the way. and it's
3: it's interesting that it's hitting these prestige awards as well. That maybe we might think of something that's more driven for awards rather than box office Mm -hmm. or things like that or that something's maybe a festival win over an academy win Mm -hmm. that this is managing to do the the art house berlin crowd the mainstream american academy award crowd and along the way still being a huge box office success it's rare that an animation will tick all of those boxes
2: especially in international animation ticks all those boxes and then Fast forward to September 2003, so over two years after its initial Japanese release, that's when it gets, a key thing uh, in Ghibli's timeline, a cinematic release in the UK. And most importantly, when you saw it. That's when I was there (laughs) to make it all about me. I was there in Manchester, at the corner house, the legendary venue that's no longer there, and I went with my friends to see my first Ghibli film on the big screen.
3: Uh, I mentioned at the start, I've only seen a couple of these films. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those two are Spirited Away and My Neighbor Tossero. Mm-hmm. And I really gave Spirited Away the, the justice I think it deserved when mm-hmm. I watched it. I uh, watched it in two parts on my phone on a train.
2: Okay. Right. As I think
3: <laughs> Miyazaki would have wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. It's a film that's won loads of festival awards. It's won an Oscar and it's universally critically acclaimed. But most importantly, what did I think about it? Let's
2: move to the review section.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: So Jake, we have all the context we need. This is the film I've seen Dozens of
3: times, and of course, as you said, it's one you've seen as well. Yes, and I've actually seen it twice now. Okay. Uh, so I'm not going into this record with just my train viewing. Mm-hmm. I did sit down with a subtitled version of the film. Good. Switched off all the lights, put it on the big screen. So I have... I think, done this, all the justice I can do without seeing it in the cinema. Terrific. And how did it go down in a different medium? Uh, I have to say, the second viewing was slightly improved from the first. (laughs) uh, And I really enjoyed the film. I'm going to be really interested to see how it lines up with all the ones down the line, uh, because I know we're not... This is the big international crossover big hit. One. And so maybe that shows that it is more, got a bit more mainstream taste than some of the others that we're going to watch. Mm. And I wonder how I'll react to those. Um, but as an entry point, as with so many other people around the world, this was a great one for me too. Okay. And um, it was brilliant to really get thrown in instantly to this complete world of what feels like infinite creation. Mm-hmm. And. I think, well, the the film itself starts like that as well. Uh, You really do get thrown in instantly. Uh, We're in the car with Chihiro, Mm -hmm. and within five minutes, we're in this uh, abandoned theme park. And I I really love that about the start of the film, that they know that the thing that people are going to come for is this incredible creature design and this imagination, and they don't waste time to get there. I was... Uh, Actually thinking about a a Pixar film who you've mentioned already, a Pixar film called Inside Out, which came out in 2015. And the start of that film also uh, begins with a young girl who Mm. is just with her parents who's moving house. I think she's moving from Canada to San Francisco or the other way around. can't remember which. Um, And through that journey of having to move, we then travel inside her brain to another really beautifully crafted Mm. uh, imaginary land. Uh, of emotions and uh, memories which is beautifully realised and that for me felt like it kind of took a while to maybe get into that world uh, than something like this and perhaps that makes sense with being something like Pixar and having more of a predominantly western audience and if you are going for something wild like what if feelings had feelings uh, (laughs) you have to take a few more baby steps to get there whereas Ghibli have perhaps got the freedom to launch right in to what they want to show you
2: well it's just i think one of the best opening sequences in all the cinema really the first 25 minutes of this you go along with your hero you know that she's been uprooted you meet her she's she's there on the back seat with the the, the bunch of flowers that are being you know buffeted about by the car on, on the journey and then she's you know Grasping onto her parents as they go, th- she goes through the tunnel, and then separated from them, and then in this world, and then it's just this overflow of characters and incidents, and it's just so full of imagination and full of the magic that has become has come to define what Studio Ghibli is on the international stage. And it's something that's interesting. You mentioned Pixar. There is such a back and forth transfer of influence between the two studios over the years. It's reading interviews with Japanese filmmakers. They're they're very hesitant to refer to other films and other filmmakers that inspire them and influence them but one studio that ghibli would always talk about was, was pixar and john Lasseter and toy story and those films the other one would actually be aardman studios in the uk and nick park in particular wow. so there's clearly you can see this this uh, transfer between these studios but that right. introductory sequence is just incredible isn't it
3: yes uh so chihiro enters this this abandoned theme park and Uh, Day turns to night and things start to light up and gradually, uh, in quite a horrible sequence, her parents get turned Mm. into pigs gorging on a buffet. And gradually over the next few minutes, uh, we meet all these amazing creatures. We meet Haku, the boy Mm -hmm. who's kind of almost like a guide through this story for her. Uh, And she travels over a bridge into this incredible Mm bathhouse. And uh, that's where we start to meet these wonderful characters. Along the way, we'll meet No Face, who became one of the big icons Mm -hmm. of the studio, this almost Reaper-esque black sheet with a a big white face. And I just felt like this creature design and perhaps the freedom that the animators were given to really explore any and all ideas for who might populate this fantastical spa mm-hmm. is incredible. Yeah, you feel like even every background character has some sort of fully fully
2: formed reason to be there, mm. or at least their design speaks so much about them. Mm. I love the giant baby, for example. So this is uh, Yubaba's y- uh, son, who for some reason is a giant baby. So it's just out of this world, really, yeah. isn't it, as a design. And all the way through... These little moments, sort of the, the her, Yubaba's three heads, her henchmen. Yes. Uh, the, the, the little, uh, no, they're not dust mites, they're soot sprites in this one. Yeah, little,
3: uh, little black dots, really, with two eyes that mm-hmm. can just wander around on two legs and help power the fire that burns up the water of the baths.
2: And that's something that revisiting this film delights me time and again. I'd say almost more so than anything else about the film. Um, You mentioned Inside Out, which is a film that very much wears its themes and hearts on its Mm. sleeve. I think that Ghibli, and in particular in Spirited Away, don't always give you a tidy story or a tidy moral or a theme. How did you get on with that?
3: That's really interesting. And I find this fascinating, uh, this link between Pixar and Ghibli, because what I find brilliant about Spirited Away and ultimately... leads slightly to a negative which I might get onto later it's quite freewheeling with its narrative Mm -hmm. Um, it's not really committed to hitting certain beats at certain times and there are moments that could work as short films in themselves that really aren't tied to the story at all Mm -hmm. it's got more of a physicality to it and energy and momentum And you're more ingrained in that than you are in how it's tying into everything else that's going on. Mm -hmm. Whereas you can read online about Pixar's rigid story structure, about everything that you're going to hit at certain points, and who's going to die when and how that's going to affect Mm. this, and this knock-on effect of every single planned out moment of the story. And I love going into Spirited Away and constantly feeling... Uh like I wasn't really prepared for what was gonna come next, not in a twisty kind <laughs> of David yeah. Viy way, just in uh a, this feeling of an open world mm-hmm. uh in that it, you it can go in any direction, mm-hmm. and having that freedom uh, as a viewer was completely invigorating. It's
2: something that we'll come back to with other films as well. Miyazaki, whilst he draws on western literature as much as as anything else, he isn't bound to some of the storytelling structures of western cinema and literature mm. so while there are antagonistic forces in this film, Yubaba is certainly a mean old witch there's not a villain and there aren't stakes or peril or threat yeah, in, in the th- way that you'd find in other films.
3: The, the stake seems to be that underlying theme of identity yeah. which you've mentioned uh, and I think that ties into Miyazaki's uh, genesis for this project of mm. making a film for, um, for these young
2: women that he knew, these young girls, mm. and their developing sense of self and identity and defining themselves against their parents. Mm. The use of names in this film. Exactly. Um, you know, we mentioned she's called Chihiro, but once she goes into the bathhouse world, she's given the name Sen, mm. and she's told by Haku early on that remember your name is so important, yeah. and he's forgotten his name. And names and identity, remembering who you are, d- despite all of the, the the matter and the the rubbish that you literally in some cases collect throughout life is very important Yeah,
3: and through this time in the bathhouse when she is Sen Mm -hmm. that is uh, our access point for me for these these contained sequences Mm. my favourite moment in the whole film is this bit with a stink spirit Mm. who enters the bathhouse as a sludgy globule trudging across the bridge in search of a big bath yeah and Chihiro, or Sen at this point in time is is tasked with cleaning him, and uh, when he enters the bathhouse, it sends everyone into a frenzy because it's a stink spirit. <laughs> yeah. We're never going to clean him. We're not going to have enough soap, um, and it's just this chaos uh, as he trudges towards the bath. But Sen takes on uh, takes on the task. Mm-hmm. It's got so much uh, momentum to it mm-hmm. that you really get into this this idea of kind of consumption and expulsion. It's so physical. Kind of scrubbing away, and this stink spirit just like uh, almost vomiting out all the things it's consumed. Yeah, um, and it gets tied into the, the water and the move music. It's really all gelling together perfectly for something that's not completely necessary at all and almost has maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes exactly. dedicated to it,
2: and it's almost. Miyazaki's adaptation of the, the fable of the, is it the lion or the bear and the thorn in its paw, mm. while she's brought down this chute of water with the super-soaking mm. suds in them, and she's right in the centre of the stink spirit, and she sees this protrusion coming out, and it's, it's a bicycle handle, and she mm. pulls, and they pull it out, and they're literally dredging a river. Mm. It's a beautiful, poetic little moment, little mm. image and um, interestingly Studio Ghibli very recently well it's being re-released very recently but was made back in the 80s they made a 3-hour long documentary about Japan's old canals right and within 3 hours i, I think they didn't say as much as they say in yeah. <laughs> in 15 minutes of this. Yeah. this this idea of you know there are there are gods that nature
3: is beautiful and mm. they're being polluted and we need to reckon with that mm. And it ties into Sen's story as well and this idea of taking on the identity of other things that might not be yourself and that this river is uh, at its core just a piece of flowing water but it consumes bits of bike and bits of rubbish Mm -hmm. and ultimately Sen is able to purify it and take it back to what it originally was Mm -hmm. which is that journey that she's going on. Exactly. But you talk about these
2: moments that could almost live separate from the film and for me... It's it's single shots. It's mm. single locations. For me, it's the, the image of Chihiro at the end of a long day eating her, I guess it's a sort of red bean cake that she's eating on the balcony. And she's looking out over this beautiful landscape mm. that is so magical. It was once all land and now it's all sea because of the rain. And... There's a single train, a single track train going off in, into the horizon and it's something we'll come back to, of course. Trains are very important to mm. Ghibli in, in their visual motifs and language but yeah. it's single moments, single characters that really stick with me from this film.
3: Yes, I ultimately I don't think I will be coming back to it for the narrative I'll be Mm -hmm. coming back to it for that stink spirit moment uh, for just the shots of food that are just so beautiful to look at Uh, and the these vistas on this waterlogged train station Mm -hmm. are completely stunning to the point that you you don't want to pause the film but if you're going to that, that's a beautiful moment that you could happily leave on screen and end up accidentally having as a as a screensaver. For well, years. that's the
2: thing; it's are films that are real triumphs of animation, of mm. feature length animation, but they're also perfect screensavers, wallpapers,
3: <laughs> and GIFs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this idea of locations, I found really interesting. And again, another thing that I'll be really curious to see about with the other films that we watch. Going to the only the the two that I have seen. I felt this the world building mm. is absolutely remarkable considering we don't actually see much of the world at all. That we see pretty much this entire film is set within one location, right. and that's the bathhouse. But because of how fully realized the interior of that bathhouse is, and now it's despite the fact that it's so wild in its ambition with all the different characters and the style of them. You can you instantly feel that's what the whole world is like. And mm-hmm. when we go to this train station and we see the horizon mm. beyond that, I know what that looks like already. And it's completely stunning. And uh, I've seen Totoro as well, which we will go into in a in a future episode. And I felt the same way with that film. And I was recently watching yeah. uh, the Steven Spielberg film Ready Player One, uh-huh. which is about this uh artificial world in which the only limits are the limits of your imagination but because of that it throws in characters from loads of different fictitious films and it's actually it's quite ugly right. and it doesn't fill you with that awe and wonder that actually makes you want to explore the outer edges and for a world that is meant to be completely uh infinite mm-hmm. i felt i could only imagine what i was actually being shown yeah and Ghibli provides me with that imagination to see everything. Exactly. I'd say this is a
2: better film than Ready Player One. I would say that too. I don't think that's a controversial (laughs) statement, although (laughs) maybe people can tweet at me. Yeah. But while I love this film, and it is so important in the Ghibli catalogue, it's this epochal moment for them, going back and revisiting it, you can see that this is maybe not the masterpiece, Mm. Miyazaki's masterpiece or Ghibli's masterpiece. And I'd like to know, for me, I'd like to know what you think, because for me... It resolves so quickly at the end, yes, it's almost like you've had all this all these characters, all these landscapes, all this world building, and then it just kind of rounds everything up in maybe a f- fifty sixty second yeah ending they she she's presented with these pigs, which one of her parents, none of them hooray you you're off, <laughs> yeah, and that's the end
3: you've you've figured
2: everything out to to the point where actually, for years since fans ask Miyazaki in these fan Q&A sessions how did she know which which pigs were her, her parents or that none of the pigs in the light were her parents and he says it doesn't matter I don't care stop asking me yeah.
3: what did you think about the ending Jake? I quite like that it knows exactly where it, when it's done. I admire yeah. like, the ambition of that. I wasn't as much into when it does leave the bathhouse and go to a train station to this almost Red Riding Hood cabin in the woods type right. location after we've had such a massive uh, kind of exploration of all these fantastical beings uh, just to go into a standard fairy tale mm-hmm. setting mm-hmm. Um, just kind of lowered my excitement for the, right. kind of the coda of the film and I was very much more into it during that midsection when it's mm. seeing how she handles the baths. And I think I would agree with you. I really enjoy it, and there's so much that I love about it, but moments like that can tell me it's not a masterpiece. Mm. But it is nice to hear why you think it isn't one of these complete masterpieces, Michael, because we've got to start ranking these and uh, figuring out where these all rank for you. <laughs> I don't want to make you pick between your children, Michael, but we all know you have favourites. Each episode, we'll add a film to our leaderboard, uh-huh. and uh, hopefully we'll figure out which Ghibli truly owns your heart. Uh, for now, though, we've, we've just got the one film to add, and that's y- Spirited Away.
2: Yes, so this is both, the as of now, the best and worst Ghibli film we've watched for yeah. this podcast. Yes. So it's number one. <laughs> yeah. Gold um, medal, gold yeah. standard. Excellent. Although it will be interesting t- with that conversation as we go along if there are maybe films that are less well known from mm. the library that we'd maybe rank higher. Yeah. But for now, where, where
3: are you thinking this one might land?
2: I think this is this is top tier. Right. It certainly is. But then the interesting thing I think with Cheer Ghibli is they've made fifteen great movies yeah. out of twenty odd.
3: Oh a little dig there for those other those other nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to find out what those in the nine are yeah. if we get to them. Okay. Well, we hope you've enjoyed your time in the Ghibliotech. In the next episode, we'll be taking Grave of the Fireflies off of the shelf.
2: A very different film, Jake. Yeah. Um, so this is Isao Takahata directing as opposed to Hayao Miyazaki. And a very different film, that's all I'll say for now.
3: Yes, I have been told that I will uh, need a couple of hankies at least. It's a 3 hanky movie, a review said at the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, until then, you can follow Michael on Twitter at Michael J. Leader. And you can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake H.
2: Cunningham. And we'll see you next time. Bibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. We record at Soho Radio. Our music is made by Anthony Ing. Our artwork is by Sophie Mo, and Steph Watts helps us out with all of our gifs, images, and anything else we post online. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, and Harold Sheil. That's me. I do the voiceover for the end credits as well. Hi, everyone. Thanks for sticking around after the credits. As a reward, we'd like to give you a little bit of extra trivia. We spoke in the episode about Spirited Away's connection with Disney, particularly Pixar, and how John Lasseter oversaw the dubbing for this film into English. Well, Pixar fans might know that they have a lucky charm in the shape of John Ratzenberger, who of Cheers fame, he provides voices uh, to small characters in all of their films, and he pops up in Spirited Away as one of the denizens of the bathhouse. And also eagle-eyed Pixar fans might see a little reference in the shape of Zenibar's bouncing lamp when Chihiro goes off to visit the other witch, the twin sister. That bouncing lamp is a reference to Luxo so Jr., Pixar's mascot and logo.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince.